perfection of your word and the power of your spirit, you know exactly what each and every one of us needs to hear and how we need to hear it. And so whatever that thing or wherever those things are, Lord, let us be um, responsible with those things. Let us not justify or excuse why uh, we should be exempt from this or why we need to um, disregard it or put it off. But no, Lord, let us let us be um, just sensitive and let us own it and let us look to you for grace to make that adjustment or those adjustments, whatever they may be, because we'll be much better for it. So God, please have your way with all of us tonight. <clears throat> Jesus name. Amen. So we're going to be back in the book of 2 Samuel tonight. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 3. Of all the mighty men that served under King David before and during his reign, his nephew Joab was a man who was in a class of his own. He was fearless. He was brave. He was a highly skilled general. He took the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites, which would become the capital of Israel and the capital or and the worship center of Israel. He also led David's armies to massive victories against Israel's enemies. It's hard to imagine that David's throne and his kingdom would have been established and expanded as it did apart from Joab. If we're just talking about the battlefield, he was the mightiest of men. But when you examine the list of men that David recognizes in his last words in the book of 2 Samuel, there is a name that you will not find there, and it's Joab. As great as he was, as valiant as he was, as courageous as he was, he was a man's man. He was a warrior. I mean, if you had to get into a foxhole with a guy, you wanted to get in the foxhole with Joab because that guy knew how to fight. But he's not directly mentioned in that list of mighty men. He is mentioned indirectly. Abishai, the brother of Joab, Azahel, the brother of Joab, Zealot, the Ammonite, Naharai, the Barathite, armor bearer to Joab. So David indirectly mentions his name three times. But why would David fail to directly mention a man that had more to do with the expansion of his kingdom than any other general under him? And this sets us up tonight to make our first key point, and it is this. More than anyone, mighty men and women of God are vulnerable to failure. More than anyone, mighty men and women of God are vulnerable to failure. Tonight we're going to see three areas where mighty men and women of God are vulnerable to fail. And you will see exactly, as we come through these, you'll see exactly why Joab's name is missing in that list. Just to give you some background, after the death of Saul, David sought God as to what he needed to do. God told him to go up to Hebron and Judah. It was there that David was anointed king over Judah. Abner, who commanded Saul's army, wanted no part of that. 
And unlike David, he did not seek God. What he did instead was he appointed Isbosheth, Saul's son, to be king over Israel. Abner was full of pride, corruption, and rebellion. But only as God could, God would use that to what you see in verse 10 of chapter 3, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah. But in 2 Samuel chapter 2, Abner proposes to Joab that 12 soldiers from his side and then 12 soldiers from Joab's side, they were to engage in battle with the winner ultimately taking the leadership of the kingdom. That would basically end in a draw because God had already decided who would lead the nation and it wasn't going to be Isbosheth. But things from there escalated with Azahel, Joab's brother, pursuing Abner. Abner warned Azahel twice to turn back and, and, and go after someone that was more in his league. Azahel would have none of it. Ultimately, he met the spear of, of Abner and he died. From here, David is waxing stronger and stronger, but the house of Saul is waxing weaker and weaker. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Abner and Isbosheth having a falling out. Abner then now shifts his allegiance to David. And there's a whole lot we could say about that regarding the sovereignty of God, but we don't have time. But pick it up in verse 17. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel saying, You sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord hath spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David and Hebron, and all that seemed good to Israel. And that seemed good to the house of Benjamin, to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron, and twenty men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go, and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. And brought in a great spoil with them, but Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he had sent him away, and he is gone in peace. <clears throat> so again, God is working his plan. That plan was that David would not just be the king of Judah but that he would be the king of all of Israel, and God was making it happen. Abner has moved from working against David to recognizing that he could not stop God's plan. But it's in verse 24 that we meet our first vulnerability that all mighty men and women are, of God are ripe for. And you got to get this. Verse 24, Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away and he is quite gone? Now, I want you to notice in verse 24, the wording, because it's very important. It says that Joab came to the king. 
He came to the king. In other words, he wasn't just addressing anyone. He was addressing the king. He was addressing God's man. He was addressing God's anointed. Joab was not coming to one of the men that was under his command. He was coming to the king. And that's very important. And the text removes any ambiguity regarding how he approached the king. Because essentially what he was asking was, what the heck have you done? What hast thou done? Why is it that thou hast sent him away and he is quite gone? His approach was attacking and accusatory. And it clearly showed that he lost sight of who he was talking to. He was talking to the king. And here's the first vulnerability of a mighty man and woman of God, and that is this. Mighty men and women of God are vulnerable in the area of spiritual authority. We are all vulnerable there. And the A word has become a very despised word. It is the authority word. After all, parents are stupid, right? Teachers don't have a clue. And people in positions of spiritual authority are just as dumb and out of touch as everyone else in authority. We are a society that absolutely despises and we have a disdain for authority. We do. What we see in Joab is what we can observe in any mighty man or woman of God. They can be. And many times they are. A two-sided coin. On one side, they are gifted, they are passionate, they are more than capable, they are very dedicated. That side of the coin is, it is refreshing, it is edifying, it is a blessing, it is glorifying to God, and we praise God for that side of the coin. But on the other side, they can be prideful, they can be stubborn. They can be hard-headed and they can be downright disrespectful to those who are over them in the Lord. That was Joab. He was that two-sided coin. There are some pages you read and you go, wow. And then you turn the page and you go, wow. (laughs) That was Joab. Peter was such a man, was he not? Gifted, passionate. More than capable, very dedicated. But consider Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So that was Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in human flesh who spoke. Nothing he ever said, nothing that he says could ever be construed as incorrect or off or inaccurate, period. Verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, 
God and human flesh. And Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him to his face. Saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter forgot. He lost sight of the fact that he was addressing the king. Joab forgot that he was addressing the king. Joab was obviously full of emotion. In 2 Samuel 3, Abner had killed his brother, but he was also full of arrogance. And what he says to the king after berating him with his questions, verse 25, Thou knowest Abner the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. Joab was not interested in what David thought at all. He assumed that he knew what was really going on here and that David was clueless. What he missed was God was actually working through Abner to accomplish what we saw in verse 10. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah. But he missed that. In many cases, mighty men and women of God possess the belief that, listen, they can do the job as well, if not better, than the person that they're under. That's their arrogance. That's their pride. Please hear me. That is a Joab attitude. Let me give you some practical tips regarding spiritual authority. This is for me. This is for you. This is for us. Number one, whenever you are communicating up, do so carefully. Whenever you are communicating up, do so carefully. Never lose sight of who you're talking to. I love our pastor, Sam Miles. Like me, he is an imperfect man. But he is God's imperfect man over me. So if I disagree with something that he says or something that he's doing, listen, how I communicate that must show the Lord and it must show Sam that I recognize that I am communicating up. Both my speech and my tone are very measured. Not to mention, if I'm having a conversation about sin, outside of his presence, whether it be with my wife or anyone, my speech and my tone are as measured. Because that's God's man. He is over me. This is Kaya, and some of you are still living at home with your parents. At this stage in your life, you will disagree with them about a few things probably. The issue is not that you disagree. The issue is how you disagree. How you communicate must show your parents that you recognize their place. As we say in ministry many times, 
And it's true. I married way up. I married out of my league. Lori really got the short end of the stick. I mean that. She could have done a lot better. My wife is a woman with a meek and quiet spirit. And I find that beyond refreshing all these 15 years. She is delightful to dwell with. She is a continual breath of fresh air. I mean that. But I don't say what I'm about to say to somehow indicate that I'm keeping a scorecard against her because I'm not. To the contrary, I say this as a praise to my God for the wife that he gave me. But in the 15 years that we've been married, sure, I'm working out, man. It's good. Thank you. In the 15 years that we've been married, my wife has raised her voice at me two times. One was three weeks into our marriage, which to be expected. It can be a little bumpy when you get them off the ground. The last time was in 2009. That's my wife. My wife would rather drink, and I mean this, she would rather drink a glass of Clorox than to outright challenge me, disrespect me, or go against me. That is repulsive to her. And I praise God for that. She is a submitted woman. I made a mistake, which I've made a few. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work out this way. It didn't work out this way at all. But Mark Trotter had uh, approached me and he says, man, your wife must be absolutely just pulling her hair out with me. I don't respond to her emails. It takes me months to respond. I, I'm late getting her everything. She needs her LFBI. She must be absolutely just fed up with me. And I told him, I said, Mark, let me tell you, man, she's patient. And the last thing she ever wants to do is have you feel that you are somehow inconveniencing her or irritating her or anything like that. She would, it would kill her. So here's what I did. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so we're in the car, and, and I said, hey, uh, what's, what's going on with you and, and Mark Trotter? And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, man, apparently he said you gave him the business about not... Not turning in his assignments or LFBI stuff. I mean, he said you just both barrels, man. You just let it. You just let it, let, it, let it rip, man. I mean, you just let him have it. Were you having a bad day? And she's like, he said that. I said, well, yeah. I mean, I, it didn't sound like you, but I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you're having a bad day. I don't. And everything just goes quiet. And you know how husbands, if you're married, you understand what I'm saying. It's not just that things go quiet. It's that things start to feel different. It's like, okay, something doesn't feel right. 
And I look over, and there are tears running down her face. And I thought, oh, that wasn't good. (laughs) That was not good. Lord, help me with my sense of humor. Come on. You know what it was? The thought of Mark Trotter thinking that she somehow was going against him, that she had disrespected him, it just crushed her. I thought, Lord, let that be me. Let that be my heart attitude toward those who are over me in the Lord. Thank you for my wife. She's gold. Two, Submission to spiritual authority is a gateway to progress. Did you notice how Jesus responded to Peter's rebuke? Get thee behind me, who? For rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. And stubbornness is as what? Iniquity and idolatry. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Joab must not have been familiar with that one. Simply put, you have to get this, you do not nor will you move forward when you rebel against God's ordained spiritual authority in your life. I don't care how right you think you are. You halt your progress. This is so important to God that of the Ten Commandments, only one was mentioned with promise. Exodus 20, verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Wow. I get it. You're not 12 anymore. So the command there was not to obey, but to honor. Obedience is something that children do. The point is, whether you're 12 or 25, you honor them. Paul tells us, In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And what do you do? And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. That's hard to preach for obvious reasons. Because I don't have a selfish motive in that, but we have to go there because of what we're talking about. But Paul was saying, treat those that are over you in the Lord very specially. You don't treat them. You don't approach them. You don't speak to them like anyone else. Because they're not anyone else. Not that pastors are elite or or that pastors are better. That's not what I'm saying at all. Not that you've got to bow down. Not at all. But it's recognizing that, hey, that's God's anointed. It, it, it's, the, it's the spiritual equivalent of biological parents, right? The way that a child honors their parents is how the, the, the flock is how they view their, their pastors. They honor them that way. But here's what Joab missed. At the end of this verse, he says, and be at peace among yourselves. In other words, don't war with those who are over you in the Lord. Be at peace with them. Don't fight with them. It happens at Midtown. It happens at all churches. But there are people who rebel, and they rebel hard. 
against the authority. And you know what? They do not move forward. Because you know who they're rebelling against? We're against God. Third, spiritual leaders are not perfect, and neither are you. Entrust their imperfections to God, but don't try and play God and correct or fix them. It's not your place. I've heard this a lot over the years, and it goes something like this. Well, you know, I'll follow him as long as he's following the word. But the minute he gets out of bounds in the word of God, that's it. I'm going to straighten him out. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to chew him out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to rebuke him. The minute he, okay, I've heard that. Now hear what you're saying. But I wonder, was King Saul out of bounds with God? Was he out of bounds with David? You better believe he was. I mean, he devoted a great deal of his life trying to wipe David out. But what did David do? He didn't touch the Lord's anointed. He didn't straighten him out. He didn't attack him. God, that's your man. You put him there. If you don't want him there, then you'll do that. That's not my job. Absolutely not. Listen, please hear me. I am not saying that pastors have unlimited authority. They do not. Nor does any pastor have the right to lord over the flock. God forbid. What I am saying, though, is God is at work in their imperfect life, just like he is at work in your imperfect life. How would you like it? If every time you, you got out of bounds or every time you messed up or you slipped, someone got in your face and rebuked you. Not at all. All right, next. Verse 26. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, after Abner which brought him again from the well of Sarah. But David knew it not. Here's the second vulnerability. Mighty men and women of God are vulnerable in the area of being self-willed. The phrase, but David knew it not, says it all. In other words, Joab was operating outside of the authority of the king. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. Joab is going rogue here. Again, we're talking about areas where mighty men and women of God are vulnerable. We should consider Titus 1.7. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. Not soon angry, not given to wine nor striker, not given to filthy. That word self-will, it means self-pleasing. Pastor is not to be self-pleasing. A self-willed person is always about what pleases them, not God. They're self-pleasing. One of the reasons that this is so dangerous is because mighty men and women of God are people of influence. So if they become self-willed, they will, listen, they will always involve others in their cause. Notice what the text says in 2 Samuel about Joab. 
he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sarah. So Joab, a man of influence, he involved these messengers who would now have a hand in a man who was going to be murdered. A lot of believers have been severely damaged by nasty church splits. A Joab, and every congregation has at least one, a Joab within the congregation does not like a decision that has been made or how things are going. And instead of praying and fasting about it, No, what he does is he goes and he forms a slander group. And he poisons the minds of those people against the pastor and the leadership. And after six months, he has this entire group convinced that all of the spiritual leadership in the church has abandoned the Bible. They are in sin. They don't believe the word of God. They're messed up. And we got to get out of here. And on month seven... Joab Baptist Church holds its first service in Joab's living room. And all of them are angry and bitter. I wish I were exaggerating, but history says I'm not. Listen, please listen. How you handle disagreements is one of the clearest proofs of spiritual maturity or spiritual immaturity. How you handle disagreements says volumes about your spiritual maturity or your spiritual immaturity. If Pastor Brandon has made a decision or has set a direction that you just can't live with, there is a way to deal with that. Let me give you three ways to handle disagreements with spiritual authority. Number one, search the scriptures. Does this thing clearly violate God's word? And be honest there. Be honest. In other words, if you've got to piece something over here with something over here and explain how there is some Hebrew or Greek nuance that somehow proves your point, chances are, You should let that go. Where you're doing Bible gymnastics. And by the time you're done, people are worn out and confused and have no clue what you're angry about. Two, and I mean this, sincerely pray about it. Lord, am I missing something? Let me tell you how you can always tell when your approach is off. You can always tell when your approach is off and your heart attitude is off when you approach someone with the decision that they are wrong and you're right. That's what Joab did. Joab came in. Once he got the news, he came in firing, guns blazing, blasting David because he assumed that David was wrong and he was right. So whenever you approach someone, whether someone in leadership, anyone, and you approach them and it's clear to them that you think you're right and they're wrong, your heart is in the wrong place. That's not how you approach anyone. 
ask yourself honestly in this prayer stage, what is this really about? What is this really about? There are, praise the Lord, some future pastors in this room tonight. Newsflash to you. Not everybody's going to like you. I'm just telling you. As a matter of fact, there will be some people who will absolutely despise you and would throw a jam session if you died today. It can get that bad. Here's the thing. If you don't like someone, you usually do not like anything they do. They can buy a new shirt. And as far as you're concerned, they bought that shirt because they're somehow trying to show off and they're full of pride. And they got it from the thrift store for crying out loud. (laughs) So sometimes people are using an issue as nothing more than a launching pad to express their dislike for someone in leadership. So in the end, it's not really about the issue at all. It's really about this personal thing that you've got going against that person. Search your heart. God, what is this really about? Is this really about a violation of your word? Is your glory really on the line here? Or is this about me? God will show you that. And number three, respectfully approach that pastor or leader if necessary. I say if necessary because oftentimes through searching scripture and sincerely praying about it, you're able to just leave it with the Lord. Lord, you got this. I have to say anything. Listen, one of the things that will help you tremendously in this, be at peace, resolve that you don't have to be heard. You don't have to be heard. Your input doesn't have to be given. Your opinion doesn't have to be stated. Learn to zip it. Proverbs talks about that. (laughs) Learn to hold your tongue. 15 years of marriage, I've learned some of that. Lord, is this really worth me even saying anything? Is this worth... The time and their energy and the discord, is it, is it even, is it really worth it? And in that process, what God has shown me many times is, this is about you. This is about you. It's not about my glory. It's about some selfish agenda that you're working. Close your mouth. Close your mouth. Study to be quiet, the Bible says. But approach is everything. And a pastor or a leader can tell the difference between you attacking him versus you addressing an issue. Those two are very different. In other words, he can tell if this is something that's really biblical or if it's personal. But notice that none of these steps involve involving other people. 
Many times when someone has an issue with leadership, by the time leadership gets knowledge of it and begins to address it, 20 people who had nothing to do with it believe they have all the data and they've taken aside, listen, having never discussed it with the pastor who's been accused. But they know what happened. And they are on this person's side. And you blew it. You did them wrong. And it has never ceased to amaze me when you have a conversation with that person, how convenient certain details were left out. It's amazing how that happens. And listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.19. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Did that happen? No, but you've taken sides. Be careful. Mighty men and women of God must be like Christ in his approach to life and ministry while on this earth. John 8, 29, and he that sent me is with me. It's with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That's not a self-pleasing self-willed attitude. God, I'm always about what pleases you. That's my approach. And finally, verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib. It's a key phrase in 2 Samuel. Fifth rib, that he died for the blood of Azahel, his brother. Here's the third vulnerability. Men and women of God are vulnerable in the area of shady character. Joab was mighty on the battlefield, but he had the character of a toilet. His character was very poor. He murdered Abner. For selfish reasons, he went along with David's plot to have Uriah the Hittite murdered. I mean, think about it. Uriah the Hittite was a mighty man of God. He was a man of character. Joab would have known that. He would have known that. Given that Joab was selective in his obedience to David anyway, do you think Joab would have at least inquired, David, why is it? Do you want this guy dead? We are talking about Uriah the Hittite. What did I miss? If he had a godly character, he would have done that. It's interesting, though, that Joab's name doesn't show up in, that, in those last words in, the, in that list of mighty men in 2 Samuel 23. But guess, who, guess whose name shows up on that list? Last on the list. Uriah the Hittite. Before Joab and his men pursued Absalom for his rebellion against his father, David, David commanded Joab and the men directly to deal gently with his son, Absalom. They all heard it, including Joab. What does Joab do? He took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the yoke. 2 Samuel 18, 14. 
after Absalom's revolt was dealt with, with, and David came, and David made his nephew Amasa uh, the captain of his army instead of Joab. What does Joab do? True to his shady character, he kills Amasa. He took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him, and he smote him in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground. Now Amasa died. Chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Listen, few things are scarier than people in leadership with shady character. David never directly mentioned Joab in his last words, but he did mention him in his final instructions to his son Solomon. Listen to what he said in 1 Kings 2, 5. And there's obvious reasons why David never dealt with Joab earlier in his life. We could spend some time on that. But, but in 1 Kings 2, verse 5, Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his, his girdle that was about his loins. And in his shoes that were on his feet, do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. Joab would meet the end of a sword that he had delivered to so many in his life. But the ministry is a place where you can do some serious damage if your character is shady. In the sports world, we say that winning cures all. So a professional athlete can beat women and he can break the law. But boy, if he takes an 80-yard punt return to the house for a touchdown, all is forgotten and forgiven. But what I found is, is we can easily mirror that attitude in the church. A man can be a terrible husband. He can be an irresponsible father. He can have character like Joab. But boy, he can preach the word. Boy, he knows the book. Character's in the toilet. But my goodness, that man can light it up. Boy, you know what? She's not faithful, man. You can't count on her. She doesn't tithe or anything like that. But I tell you what, man, she can sing. Give her a mic. We do the same thing. Story is told of a bank employee who was in line for a big promotion. And so one day at lunch, the president of the bank happened to be standing in the cafeteria behind a clerk. And he saw this man who was in line for this promotion. And what he saw was he saw this man take two little pats of butter and hide them under his bread so the cashier wouldn't see it and charge him for it. And he said, you know what? I can't promote that man. Two pats of butter cost him a promotion. Character. How's your character? How's your character? Are you submitted? 
Are you dead set on pleasing God? Let's bow in an attitude of prayer. Consider what we've heard from the Lord. Man, uh, Brandon asked me to do the invitation, and man, I didn't expect this message tonight. Uh, <laughs> did it not pierce your heart? Wow, there's, there's just so much in that message that resonates with me, and I don't know how God is dealing with you, there's, there's so much in there. Um, Man, we have a thriving ministry, don't we? Uh, man, we, you've seen how God has blessed our small groups, how God has blessed FOI. We got someone who got saved today. Amen. Um, uh, Beatrice, if you don't know. Yeah, Beatrice uh, got saved today. She has that gray hair, so you, you, you yeah, you, you see her. She, she's like a storm, you know, compared to the storm. But, but you know, um, man, we got a thriving ministry. We have, man, we have gifted leaders who is passionate, man, to have everything that God would have for you and for me. Don't you see that? You know, and I, and I tell you, I'm I'm 38 years old, so I'm I'm not that young anymore. Yeah. Uh, if you want to buy, um, I, I do have a cream in the car. I'm gonna get, get I don't have any cream to sell. Uh, but here's here's the thing. Let, let me get this across, okay? We have a thriving ministry. We have gifted and passionate leaders. But if we're not careful, right, we can stress our leaders. We can stress out our leaders. You know, the Bible says that, that Moses was the most meek man, right? He was the most meek man, gentle. And you know the story how Miriam and Aaron, right? And, and man, they, they didn't approach Moses, right? And you see that, that, that story, right? God was like so upset. He came down. You three come out here right now. You three come out right now. And boom, he judged them. And, and, and Miriam, you know, got, got leprosy right there. And there. That's, that's, that's how God sees, you know, that, that attitude of, of, of people not submitted to the authority of God. But here's the thing. I, you know, one of the things, like, man, I, I see Moses, and man, if, if we're not careful, right, and, and this can come out right off like, like, like Abner, um, aggressive, come out, oh man, why do you do this? Okay, but here's the thing. We can also be passive-aggressive. Right? It doesn't show and you can come out like, oh man, everything is cool, everything is good, but man, there are something brewing. Right? Why isn't, why isn't he promoting me? Am I not doing good? I mean, look at, you know, my disciple, man, he, he or she is not seeing the talent that I have now. I have to circumvent my disciple and go to the pastor. You know, that happens in ministry. I see that a lot, that people try to 
shortcut stuff, right? But God has put a structure in place. God has used Midtown to put specific structure in place. We have discipleship. We have a disciple that we pray over and and we we pair people up, right? And we trust God for that process, right? But if you can't submit to your disciple, right? Do you think God is going to bless you for that? He won't, right? And 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 man, I can go on and on, but I I want to give an invitation, right? So there there's a lot of content there, and God might be working in your heart in a different way and so forth. But man, if if you need to, man, we need to repent, don't we? We need to repent. So man, just spend some time, just you and God, and just just reflect your heart. Where am I at? Am I am I a person that submitted sincerely? You know? Am I, am I bitter about something? And so I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't be in unity with my leadership, if you will. Right? So check, uh, let's, let's spend a bit of time, check a heart. And then, you know what? I, wanna res- I want you to respond to how God will then show you, hey, you know what? You need to do this. You might need to talk to someone tonight, right? And say, man, I'm so sorry. I, 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 you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't view you correctly. I, I didn't give you the benefit of the doubt. Really, I didn't really even have all the data. I didn't have all the data, but because so-and-so told me this and that, and so I just thought it was what it is, and so, you know what? I, I, I held bitterness, and so I can't, even, I can't even hear you. I can't even submit to you. I can't, and so forth. Okay, so can we take some time uh, and just just you and God and just God search my heart man know where am I at and then when God speaks to you I want you to respond to that right make that right right make that right that's called repentance make that right turn turn around and make that right can we do that man let, let's do that and then and then I think don't rush that and then I think after that we can be dismissed and, and pie will be yeah. will be served. Amen. Amen. Let's do that.